You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Locked On Suns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Today, as always, I'm your host, Evan Syridge, one of my co-hosts, Brendan Clean, both right for Bright Side of the Sun SB Nation. You can follow me on Twitter at Eastsider. You can follow Brendan on Twitter at Brendan Clean 14. We're joining actually right after the Suns lost once again tonight. Their 22nd loss in the last 24 four games. They've lost... To, they lost by the Utah Jazz with 28 points tonight, 116-88. to 88. It wasn't even that close, to be honest. It was almost a 40-point deficit at one point. Booker had 12-5-2 on three of 18 field goal attempts after being questionable for a tip-off with a sore wrist. Josh Jackson off the bench had 17 points and 8 rebounds on 6-10 field goals in only 24 minutes. But TJ Warren had 18 field goal attempts but only 19 points. But overall, if you're looking at just the main resolve of this game, this is the ninth loss of 20-plus points or more since New Year's for the Phoenix Suns, 15th total in the season. So... Like we mentioned in the last episode, it seems like this season is really going to a nosedive. So, Brent, I know you really it's pretty much been the same script on, almost on all these games. We were on the last title of the last episode of the podcast. But any thoughts on another near 30-point loss tonight? I mean, I think the big shocking part for tonight is just that Booker wasn't able to come through. I mean, for the most part all season, regardless of the outcome of the game, you've been able to count on Devin Booker to be pretty efficient, score 20, 30 points, and obviously he didn't do that. And, and as we talk about, I mean, I think the, the bigger pattern even than the losses in general is if Booker's not showing up scoring-wise, if he's not unable to get in rhythm, then they, this team has no chance. And um, while the score looks the same, I think that's the, the key thing that was a little bit different tonight. For sure, yeah. I think one guy I took away was Josh Jackson had a solid performance off the bench. So I guess before we move on to our main mailbag, that's our main part this week with the NCAA tournament starting up. I know people probably don't want to listen to another 30-point loss. So as far as your main takeaway from tonight's game, as far as with Jackson and Warren and Booker, those are the three main guys of the timeline so far. What's your thoughts on the lineups moving forward with maybe Jackson at the three, Warren at the four, maybe Jackson starting Warren to the bench? Just what's your update on that over the last maybe 15 or so games? Yeah, uh, I mean, similar things as, as we've been seeing. I think just I, I don't understand, and I don't I don't think it's necessarily fair to judge Triano because there are some inconsistencies with, with who needs to play or which position. Alex Lane got 23 minutes then after getting five in the last game. Um, but just I, I wish he would be able, I don't know who, who necessarily is pulling the strings, I just... Wish he was able to pull this, pull the uh, trigger fully on those those younger minutes, like we talked about in the last episode. But um, you know, maybe that's even further into the season. I'm not really sure at this point what the weight is. Um, Alfred Payton got 17 minutes, pretty confusing too, despite him um, being pretty not great the past little while I don't know it's just it's inconsistent I think is the frustrating thing and it's hard to really judge these guys which I think is the end goal for us as fans and and for the front office and to me it seems difficult to really get a great picture of a lot of these players when their role is just changing from game to game or it's not allowed to get any bigger for sure it seems like definitely over the last week or so a lot of inconsistency as far as rotations go Davon Reed once again didn't see minutes till mop up duty when they're down by 35 points and I mentioned a lot on the podcast, but I think that's not a good way to utilize Davon Reed's abilities. He's a guy who really deserves more than just mop-up duty minutes, and especially with Troy Danos, who's now a long-term piece of the future. I think at some point they have to just pull the pull the plug on Troy Danos and let Davon Reed get most of his minutes. But 
I know you guys probably want to look forward to our mailbag of this week. So 116.88 was the final score of tonight's game. The Suns once again lost their 22nd game in the last 24 outings. So unlike the Memphis Grizzlies, who only I think they lost their 19th straight game tonight. So those two teams are definitely in the bottom two as far as the tank race goes for Luka Doncic and DeAndre Ayton of Arizona. And we'll touch on DeAndre Ayton a little bit later because they had a sh- surprisingly shocking loss to Buffalo tonight in the NCAA tournament. I know me and Brendan both had Arizona going super far, and that kind of ruined our bracket and our money hopes. But overall, just what's your thoughts on moving on to our mailbag? I know you had some questions for us. So what's our first question? Yeah, I mean, into I, I we don't mention it uh, as much as we should on the podcast, but our Twitter handle is at locked on PHX Suns. Um, check out. I mean, we post every episode there. We'll do some game analysis if there's actually an interesting game to tweet about. We obviously ask for questions and things that way, so that's the best place to follow all the content we create. But um, asked for questions earlier this morning, and uh, the one that I keyed into first was. The most recent one, actually, and it's from Tom Miller at TomKid88, and it says, "Just if our pick falls number four again, uh, what do we do?" And I'll leave that one for you, especially after seeing a, an entertaining round of college games today. I don't know if it changed my thoughts on any of the prospects, but uh, what do you think about if we were to fall to number four? If they fall number four, first off, I think Phoenix is going to go into a frenzy. That won't end well. But as far as number four goes, if Aiton's off the board, I imagine Aiton's off the board, Doncic's off the board. Number three, it's probably going to be MPJ or Jaron Jackson. So you, you're definitely assuming that Bagley, Bamba, or one of those MPJ or Triple J are there. So I would probably go with um, either Triple J, Bamba as my top two choices, and then Michael Porter, just because I think defense, the more you see it every single game, I bring it up a lot on the podcast, but – Every single game we see the Suns get absolutely torched inside. No different tonight because Rudy Gobert and even Jonas Repko and Joe Ingles were having their way against Marquise Chris, Dragon Bender down low. So I think those guys long-term are in good defensive team, defensive fives. And the more you see with Jay Trion, the more you see with the Phoenix Suns, this defense looks systematically broken. So I think you need some anchor like a Muhammad Bamba or a Jaron Jackson. I think if they don't get a top three pick or top two, at least they get Doncic or Aiden. I think at this point I'm leaning really heavily towards Jaron Jackson and Mohamed Bamba. Yeah, what you said at the end there I think is what I, I think is the bigger question, which is what happens if they fall out of the top two because just the way this draft is, while Jaron Jackson's an awesome player, I'm really excited about what he could be in the NBA, and I, I think he's a decent fit with the Suns. Um, I think you're really hoping this year to get in that top two to take DeAndre Ayton or Luka Doncic. Um, and, the, and then just to kind of for fans you might not be aware the, the way this is the last year to work this way but as long as the Suns can stay in that pole position in the lottery if they can have the most losses um, they will have a guaranteed top three pick so that is uh, one added benefit for that top team I and mean, the Suns have never had that happen to them but they are in a, in a position this year to potentially get there so number four might not be even a possibility depending on how the rest of the season goes. But if that were to happen, if they were to maybe get to number two or three in a lottery and then somebody were to leap over them, I think, I mean, I would, my, my first thing would be to, to trade up. Um, I mean, we talk about whether they could do that to get a second lottery pick, but if you were to fall all the way to four, I think there's a, you'd have to start looking at using the Miami or Milwaukee pick to get up from four into that top two. I know we touch on it a lot on the podcast with like all these scenarios, but it's very rare. I mean, last year was a rare case with with Boston and Philadelphia doing the Markel Fultz trade, but 
with how much assets the Suns do have, do you think they're in a position where do you think a team like Memphis, for example, or Orlando, or maybe Cleveland with, I think Cleveland might make the most sense, to be honest, if that happened, but offering up all those mid-first-round picks, even a future first-round pick or two to get move up two or three spots in the draft. Do you think that makes sense in a year like this where it's so low to the top? I do. I mean, yeah, the, the, it's not a super common trade in, in basketball in the NBA. You see it in the NFL, and that's like the number one rebuild, rebuild tool in the, in the NFL as you package a bunch of later picks to move up in the first. There's probably going to be another five of those this year in the NFL, but it's not something you see in the NBA because – just having that franchise changer at the top can be so um, important. But I think, I mean, the Cavs are the obvious choice, I think, and they're probably going to get a lot of those calls. There's a lot of other franchises, though, that don't have that. I mean, Sacramento and Memphis both won't have their first-round pick next year, so they're in a position to need to get better quickly. The Magic, uh, they're, they need as much talent as they can get. Um Hawks, same way, although they're in a similar position to us. They have three first-round picks, so maybe that's another one they might be willing to be more flexible. But, yeah, I think if they were to fall to four, though, they, they would need to be looking at that pretty hard because I think those top two guys are too good to miss out on if you have that chance. I think we both agree before we move on to your next question, but are Luca and DeAndre far and away in their own tiers right now as far as Luca's in his own tier and maybe DeAndre or either one in the same? I think I have them in the same right now but yeah I think that there's a pretty sizable gap between them and and Jaron Jackson and I I don't know what really I I think that's pretty settled for me I I don't really think there's much Jackson could do in March to get up into that into that tier you want to do the next question for sure yeah I'm ready for the next one all right so this one is again about the draft to stay on that topic and it's from Anthony Camano um, or I'm sorry, Andre Camano, and it says learning from last decade's mistakes in the draft. Uh, last decade, I guess he's just this this rebuild. He says, except Booker and May Jackson, what can we do differently? I really don't want to waste another high pick on a player like Len. What do you think about that? First, I guess, do you consider picks like Warren, Len, Bender, Chris to be failures, or do you see that differently? And then, if so, what can they do to kind of buck that trend or make sure that they that they nail this pick? I think when looking at the Len pick in 2013, that draft was god awful. I mean, Nerlens Noel was one of the best guys in that draft, and he hasn't really turned to much. So, I mean, if you had to say production wise, Len probably has been a bust since he's a top five pick, but. Warren's been a guy that's consistent. He's one of the better overall cutters in the league. I think he's proven his value as far as where you're selected. And Dragon Bender is a guy I'm still waiting to see on. And I want to get your view on it as well, Brent. I'll ask you after I answer it. But I'm kind of to the point after after seeing it t- tonight with Marquise Chris pushing our rookie Rubio into a ref. I'm just to the point with him that I'm nearly done with him on the roster. But overall, I just think with them, I think they just need an immediate impact guy, no project guys. So like a Muhammad Bamba, I think that would really turn off a lot of fans, even though he might make the most sense on this roster. I think if they're looking for to avoid like a Booker, like Booker Jackson or immediate impact guys. So if you want an immediate impact rookie, you used to hope at that point to get a top three pick. I imagine like a Doncic or an Aiden or a, even a Michael Porter, I think makes probably the third best scenario as far as immediate impact goes. Yeah, I mean, the, I think that the important thing with that Len draft, you're right in that one, I think. It's tough to really fault Brian and McDonough and the Suns front office for the way that they picked in that 2013 draft. I mean, 
it, you're it, you're right. It's 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 pretty miserable. Even looking back on it, usually you can go back and you see like, oh, the that was the guy we all should have been focused on. I mean, Rudy Gobert was in that draft, Stephen Adams, C.J. McCollum, but there really was no like Hall of Fame caliber player, which is pretty rare to have zero of those kinds of guys. But um, one thing I, I just kind of piqued my interest about that question when I saw it is um, there was a I saw on Twitter a bunch of people talking about Kevin Pelton kind of released his um, it was just a piece called How My NBA Draft Projections Work and he's ESPN stats guy for anyone who doesn't read him you all should um, but he was just talking about kind of how his numbers are different than those used by other uh, analysts and he uses wins above replacement player or the stat he created and kind of projects what NBA what college prospects will be like in the NBA and over the past couple of years, the Suns have drafted guys that rank much higher in that, um, who kind of project better statistically, I guess you could say, than they used to. So TJ Warren is another guy, as we've seen uh, kind of pan out in his NBA career, who uh, didn't look to be a spectacular statistical kind of efficient player offensively and his defense was a question mark Len the kind of the same thing so but over the past couple of years I mean Dragon Bender was number two in Pelton's projections in 2016 and Marquise Chris not far behind him at 13 so um, obviously it's not like the Suns just recently started using statistics to impact their decision making but do you think that's a trend that was intentional or do you think it just happens that the guys they liked happened to be uh, judged better by this one particular metric. No, I actually think that they are using a lot more advanced stats compared to other teams. I, just randomly, I was looking up this Phoenix Sun stuff, and I saw they had an opening recently for a, an analytics job in their front office. So I think they're adding even more to their arsenal as far as that goes. And that's really intriguing to me because that easily could, because all the teams now at the days are going towards analytics and it's having a huge impact as far as how teams view draft picks, view players all around the league. So. Depending on how, I mean, I'm a huge fan of Pelton, and he's, I've been a big fan of his work and using those VORP metrics. I think VORP's one of the better overall metrics to use, even for prospects, even though VORP isn't really a thing used in college basketball right now. But I think overall it makes a lot of sense to do that. And I think Phoenix Suns, if he had to decide between Aiden or Doncic, it might just come down to advanced stats metrics, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's obviously a ton to learn there. And I, listening, I had the opportunity through actually an ASU event once to hear Jake Luz, who's their uh, director of, it's officially listed as the director of strategy and analytics. Um, he's like a typical um, Ivy League studied um, math guy who just got a kind of worked his way up as an intern and whatever and is a pretty high-ranking decision maker in their front office now and he I mean he really knows what he's talking about I think that they have the right kind of guys in there it's just interesting to me because I mean he's worked for the Sun since before that 2013 draft I think maybe we are on to something there with that probably there was no way to really get that draft right but uh you ready for the next question yeah real quick I just want to ask a generalized statement about that because I think it's interesting about advanced stats versus just the eye test but I use advanced stats a lot in how I grade out prospects and even players around the league just from a grading standpoint and really how you view a pro- view NCAA prospects how much do you use advanced metrics compared to just like the eye test for example I mean, I myself, I think I I trust my eye more than my ability to manage the numbers with with prospects specifically. I think I'm pretty comfortable 
using the numbers with NBA players and teams and analyzing the trends and, what, and kind of what they're doing. I mean, I, one of the things I've been hitting on a lot with the Suns this year is their, their efficiency at the rim. That's something that wouldn't have been available before the past maybe 10, 15 years. And, um, I mean, I subscribe to cleaning the glass. I think we both do. So obviously I really love to use that stuff, but with prospects specifically, I think it's the one thing I come across with a lot of people that use it to study a draft and project players. Um, I think it's most helpful, honestly, to use a, a statistic like Kevin Pelton's warp or vorp on uh, various other met- uh, platforms, like that kind of all encompassing thing where you can get a picture of what a player will be kind of top to bottom. I think that the, the trap that people sometimes fall in is using it's like the difference between what a player is doing and what makes them valuable. So you can make a list of like um, this guy, like three point rate, free throw rate and, and assist rate or something all together. And what are the players that have done that over the past 20 years? And is that actually like those are those ratios, that efficiency as far as shot just diversity for that player? Is that actually what makes him special? Or did you just create a list of things that he does and then compare him to other players? Like maybe his three point rate happens to be good and that he's taking three pointers as a bigger majority of his shots than players like him size and, and, you know, positionally, but th- is that actually what makes him special as a player? Or is that just what happens to be the number he, he posted this year? And will that be a, an indicator of what you're getting out of him? So I think that's the trap you sometimes fall in, especially when how, with how rigid roles can be uh, on college teams compared to what they will be in the NBA. Yeah, that's a really good point actually. Cause like you mentioned, roles in the NCAA, the systems like Sean Miller runs for DeAndre, and he's going to be completely different utilized in the next level, especially if you're the lanes in a fast-paced team like Phoenix. But what's the next question for us? Well, my Twitter app decided to uh, reinstall and update itself in the middle of this, so hold on. I'll just find the tweet on my computer. All right, it's moving away from the draft a little bit, but it's about Marquise Chris, who you mentioned earlier in the show. So it says, assuming Marquise Chris value right now, it's this is from Eric Safran. Um, do you believe that the Suns should release him in the summer or keep him hoping for a turnaround under a new coach? Ooh. And I think we're both in agreement that he's pretty near zero as far as value to the Suns, but I guess the question probably um, is going to depend on how you think he's valued around the league. I think, honestly, after tonight, I don't know if you saw the video of him with Ruby. Have you had a chance to see that yet or not? No, I have not. Okay. He, it, first off, short story, but Chris I get, was going for a dunk, and then he got fouled on the way up. He got hit, and then he didn't take kindly to that. He got up slow a little bit. Ricky Rubio was trying to get the ball in super fast. He kind of ran over Chris like while he was laying down. So Jared Dilley kind of took exception to that. When he got the inbounds, he pushed him to the ground. So he got in his face. And Chris sprints all the way over and just runs r- runs right into Rubio's face, pushed him over into a referee to the ground. And then that caused like a huge fiasco for the next two minutes or so. But I just think those kind of things are Chris just rings his emotions. Like I think that's the thing that should have been fixed a little bit a little bit longer ago, and it's still a, a big issue today. Oh, I'm watching it right now. Yeah. 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 You are right. Like, yeah. I guess since you just saw it for the first time before I even answer, is what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I just, I mean, 
I, I guess what I think about first with that, and I guess it's probably because Scott wrote a couple stories about it and everything. I do think it's something that the league probably has a, an eye on if they're gauging his value. And to me, it's just, it's a problem of self-awareness to me and understanding your place. And it, it's, it's ridiculous in a way to, to, go about it based on like who, who's a veteran and who has earned the right but you know Jared Dudley did it kind of the basketball way like that's the way players get back each other a hard foul he got called for a flagrant for it that's whatever it's fine um, he knew what he was doing probably a little dirty but nothing out of the ordinary but for Chris to get involved like that and I understand the play involved him initially too I, the clip included that but like just know when enough's enough. Know that you're a second-year player who hasn't earned the respect of, of the other guys like that. I don't know. To me, it's just there's too many plays where he's, um, like you're saying, playing based on emotion and not uh, not based on what he, I don't know, what he's earned the right to do, I guess. For sure, yeah. I guess to answer the question that he asked, and it's, I think his value is nearly zero around the league, I imagine. Just he's... Very low IQ on defense. He had some moments tonight, but just can't rein his emotions. He doesn't do anything in the post. He's not a good defender, to be honest, outside just some rim protection moments from there from time to time. But I think, honestly, outside of the options of just releasing him entirely or having just the chance of him clicking under a new coach, I think it's definitely the latter there. Just having, if he's somehow got like an Etor Messina or a Jay Wright from Villanova and he just got somehow turned into a guy that's reliable, that'd be amazing to see. But I just lost so much confidence over the last few months in Marquis Chris to the point that I just feel like he's not really that much of an NBA player, to be honest. Yeah, I think that the probably number one priority in my mind would be to try to find a new home for him. I mean, I do think that the, it's a guy that they've dedicated a lot of emotional capital into from what we all hear. I mean, it's just there's so much talk about Marquise Chris for a player who really isn't that big of a part of what the Suns do on court at this point in the season. I mean, Ryan McDonough's answering questions about him all the time. J.P. Triano's doing the same. And I, I get the impression that they had a lot invested in him. I mean, they traded up to get him. He was a young player. They all knew he was going to be a project. But I think to, to keep his career healthy and to you know make the best decision for the growth of the team, I think the trade would be the best the best option. I don't imagine that they would cut him. That just happens so rarely uh, because of the guarantees he's already given. But I do think that there is potential. I mean, you mentioned Tony Bennett. One thing that excites me about a coach like him is um, just he, he makes the most out of athletic players. He turns them into more polished system-oriented guys. I mean, DeAndre Hunter is somebody we're both excited about, but even Justin Anderson was went to Virginia and got drafted a few years ago. Same, similar type of guy where uh, even in the NBA, he's been kind of out of control at times. Doesn't always look like he has a, a really perfect role in the NBA, but in Virginia, he was a really effective player. So I think that would be one thing you're getting. If you were to hire Bennett is a guy like Chris, a guy even like Josh Jackson would have a better shot of kind of reeling it in. But I mean, not to to focus too much on one coaching prospect, but that does catch my eye as somebody who could help him turn around. Oh, for sure. I think Tony Bennett is, like I mentioned on an article earlier in the month, I think he's my favorite prospect if they do go in the college ranks to dip their toes in there. But 
I guess before we move on, I wanted to ask you about Marquise Chris, but related to Chris, what's your thoughts just moving forward with Chris? And I know Steve Kyer had a report at a trade in line that was that turned out to be false about Chris being shot to the Lakers at the deadline. But I know we don't, don't know what specific teams or even if they were shopping Chris at all, to be honest, but even with all the things that have happened with Chris, and that was, I think, a week or so after his incident with the coach about that rumor I can with Steve Kyer, do you think, we honestly don't have a bug in the wall of the front office, but do you think they were shopping Marquise Chris at all? I feel like they weren't because we didn't hear it from anybody else. Um, like, actively shopping. I, I imagine they wouldn't have said no if his name came up in discussions with another team, and that may have happened. But I don't imagine that they were calling other teams actively just because his, his, what was his value at that point? I mean, if we're saying it's pretty near the bottom now, I mean, he hasn't really gotten that much lower than he was at the deadline. So to me, it's just it would be silly for the front office to be spending their time trying to get an asset back for Marquise Chris, which to me is what kind of what shopping means is you're trying to get value back for this player. And so that just seemed kind of out of touch with what his value would have been. But I mean, the, the player I think of is, is Noah Vonley. I think it's a similar situation where he's an athletic gifted guy who got taken pretty high in a draft and didn't pan out with his first team. And Vonley didn't end up panning out with his second team either, still kind of searching for a role in Portland as he nears what is like fifth, fourth or fifth season. So um, I hope it doesn't turn out that way for Chris because I think he has potential as a really special kind of versatile guy. But I don't know. I, I just feel like at this point it doesn't seem like that's happening in Phoenix. He's gotten so many opportunities at this point that maybe, it, like I've said before, it might just be that change that's just needed for both sides. For sure, yeah, I definitely agree with you on that stance. All right, the next question is from Digital Brett at B Wilkes. Probably a short answer. I think we both agree on this one. It's the last one. It says, "Any chance the Suns shut down Booker?" In parentheses with a fake injury, similar to what they did. I guess you could say not really a fake injury, but. I think he's kind of just asking if Booker might fall victim to some outright tanking late in the season. Do you think there's any way that happens? No, I don't, but I just found it funny how Booker was a game-time decision with a sore wrist, but that he obviously was hurt by that. He finished 3 of 18, but Booker's a competitor. He's not going to fall fall to those tanking tricks. I think that's a really bad idea if McDonough went up to Booker and asked him, hey, I know we're tied with Memphis in the reverse standings, but we really need to secure the number one spot in the lottery in the reverse standings. That's... That's not going to go over well if you're going to offer Devin Booker a max extension this summer. So I will 100% say no. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, to me, I think that you're right. In this game, if he played in this game when he clearly was in pain and um, was a late, late decision to even play, it's like if he plays tonight, then what game? I mean, how, how would you really be able to ask him to not play when he feels better? He's a really competitive guy. I mean, I think we saw that with the comments after the – um, Monday game that or the Tuesday game that we touched on were I mean, he, he clearly cares a lot about this team even in this late stage of this uncompetitive season he uh, he has a lot of passion still and asking him to sit down would be even more egregious I think than asking those two veterans last year and in the Suns have even said all season that they wouldn't do anything like that so I think all, all signs kind of point to know there 
As far as the rotations, though, go, I mean, not sort of tanking, but we've seen it already with Tyson Chandler. He's This is back-to-back games he hasn't played, and there was no reason as to why he was. So do you think this is, we're starting to reach the point in the season where there's about a month left, we probably will see minutes dwindle for the likes of Tyson Chandler, Troy Daniels, all those sort of veterans, or at least we hope so? Yeah, I mean, I think we are, but that's what's so frustrating about it is like, okay, yeah, Tyson Chandler, I mean, all things considered, probably really shouldn't even be playing. I don't think... I mean, if he wants to finish out at least this contract in the next season and then reevaluate his his career, there's no reason to push himself health-wise and, and you know injure himself or anything like that. So I, it makes sense to me that he wouldn't be playing these games. But then you move on, okay, assuming he won't play. Like, is Alec, giving Alex Len 23 minutes over, you know, giving Bender higher in the, into the 30s. He, he only played 29 minutes today, and he's had games with much more than that before. And, I mean, Alec Peters was active tonight. He only played four minutes. That seems odd. If you're going to sit Tyson Chandler, you'd like to distribute those minutes to see a little bit more out of some different guys. That's what's so frustrating is, like, they're, they've obviously made a commitment to kind of give these guys a chance, but they're not going full bore into it. They're kind of... One one toe in, one toe out. Jared Dudley has been playing more consistently recently, and I don't know. It's just a lot of. Uh, I think that they're trying to stay competitive, but it's just not happening. So to me, it's like just give up on that. As as awful as that can sound, it's like it doesn't matter. We we've seen that regardless of who's on the court, this team doesn't have the talent, and they don't consistently put the effort forth to win games against good teams. And so at a certain point, you have to just kind of give up on that. I think. Yeah, exactly. I think they really should just pull the plug on playing these veteran guys or this last stretch. I think they just need to go Memphis to this point. I that The way they lost tonight, by the way, Memphis was up by two points with about 10 seconds left. And Tyreek Evans fouls on a three for no reason with about three seconds to go. So they lost by one. So with the way they're doing, I think that's not – they shouldn't be delivery tanking like Memphis is. But just play those young guys. Those losses will pile up. Like I mentioned at the outset of the podcast, they've lost 20 – They've lost nine times already since New Year's, since January 1st, 2018, 20-plus points or more, 15 over the entire season. So, like you mentioned, this team isn't competitive. It hasn't been the entire season. They've lost over 22% of the games by 20-plus or more. So, like you mentioned, play those young guys, and really Tyson Chandler, Jared Dudley, Troy Daniels, all those guys really should be seeing more than 10 or 15 minutes a game. Yeah, and Atlanta also lost today. So, um, not a great night for any of those teams but good for the Suns I guess that in a night where I mean Atlanta played Charlotte and Memphis played Chicago so they easily could have won both of those games they didn't but at least the Suns also lost so they all kind of stayed right where they were as far as the tank race goes hey real quickly before we move on but I saw last night that the Kings defeated the Heat and then the Bucks lost to the Magic so that was a double whammy last night and really it's looking a lot like unless Philadelphia chokes over the last few few weeks or so it's looking at very like a probably 75 percent chance the, at the moment of having 15 and 16 both convey phoenix's way just what's your thoughts on how they should utilize that i know we touched on it last week i believe but i think it's getting to the point where i i'm i love having the idea of adding more young guys to this roster but i think it's to the point now if booker wants to start winning which it seems like he definitely wants to with his comments earlier this week i think he might have to move those picks for a win now guy yeah, the Heat and Bucks picks are currently at 13 and 14, which is just insane. To have. If you had told me that like in November, I would have laughed. Um, but I don't know. I'm it's it's really tough because I'm so excited about a lot of the guys in that range for the Suns to take. But um, 
think it'll, I mean, honestly, to kind of tie it back to that first question we answered from the mailbag is if they can, if they do land in that top two, I think that changes things because if you can land one of those two guys, and that's not to say, I mean, I'm not positive those are going to be the two best players. I just think they're the, the two best bets right now. If you can get one of those guys, I think you feel a lot better about moving those picks and, and not taking another rookie or two. But I think if you maybe were to fall to three or four and you're taking a riskier project guy with that with that top pick, with the Suns' own pick, then to me, I think you, you maybe do want that extra bet, that extra, like, shot to uh, nab another part of this core so I, I think that you know a lot of it's gonna have to gonna be decided on lottery night in my mind yeah for sure and I'm, I'm looking at the schedule it's crazy to say guys the Suns have already played 70 games this year so we're reaching really the final stretch and I guess 70 games in Brennan do you feel like I mean I from my point of view I think the bottom half of the roster outside of maybe number seven number eight guy on the roster is going to be completely overhauled next season I think just have a more competitive roster and overall roster balance. But with 12 games left, do you think that – I think that's the main thing that's going to happen next season as far as the Suns' overhaul goes? Yeah, and I just – I feel like I have to apologize to you that this is how the Suns welcomed you to uh, covering the team with this atrocious season. But, I mean, hopefully it will turn into, like you're saying, a, a new – a new version of the team next year that's a little more competitive, a little more fun to watch because it's been 70 games of uh, pretty bad losses, and I, uh, I'm i sorry you had to, to sit through all that. Hey, like I said on the Bright Side Twitter tonight, if May 15th is comes in they get the number one, number two pick for Luca or DeAndre, it's all worth it for me. I think it's all. I think a lot of the past few seasons was, is all worth it for a, a lot of fans if, if, that, if those balls fall that way, but we will... Uh, we will see. I guess it's exactly two months from today. Yeah, May 15th, and that's – honestly, I wanted to ask you before we even ended up today's podcast, but thinking about more and more over the last week or so, is May 15th, 2018 one of the top three or maybe the most important as far as current events go or maybe even franchise history for them to get a top two pick on May 15th? It sure is stacking up that way. I mean – it's just this random mailbag. We had two questions that ended up going back to, well, we'll see how the lottery stacks up. And um, we said goodbye to two of those guys today in the March in uh, in the NCAA tournament, and DeAndre Ayton and Trey Young will be in the mix for that pick. Those picks um, later on in the summer, but. Uh, yeah, seeing how talented these guys are every day is is making me feel more and more pressure for the Suns to uh, get one of them, and it has not worked out. So there's yeah, there's a little bit of anxiety. I think I'm feeling that. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I imagine McDonough and Pat Conway and the rest of the guys in the Phoenix front office are sweating bullets until May fifteenth. Yeah, for sure. Not as many bullets as Sean Miller, I think, is is sweating, but. Um, <laughs> I, I I don't I don't even have any thoughts yet on that game. Honestly, I was like prepared to talk about it, and I'm so shocked and frustrated that I don't even I don't even have a cohesive point to make. Hey, I, I think it's crazy to say, but if Sean Miller was able to waste the number one pick in the draft, one of the best college players in the last twenty years, and gets bounced by Buffalo in the first round, whew, that's just such a bad way to go. And looking at Arizona's roster next season, that's not going to go well. No, it's uh, it's going to be as fun as this season had the potential to be with, with a long tournament run. I think, yeah, I think the Wildcats roster will look 
pretty different next year. And we don't get Shaq's son either. That was a, that was a potential, and they lost they lost out on that. So yeah, lost to Syracuse by the, the Devils on Wednesday, and then the next night U of A loses to freaking Buffalo. So. Yeah, and then the Suns are now have the most losses in the NBA. So great basketball town we have here. Hey, I, it's really crazy to think about. To be honest, that this is how it's gone in Arizona since I've been here, and it's kind of just a microcosm of how the season's gone for the Suns. They've lost by lost by twenty eight points tonight. DeAndre Ayton loses tonight to the Mid American Conference team Buffalo in the first round of the boy tournament. So maybe DeAndre and the Suns will meet each other again on May fifteenth. But until then, guys, thanks for listening to today's mailbag. Hope you enjoyed it.